Wow, good morning everyone. Um, wow, oh, there it is. Okay, well, I just, uh, first of all, uh, I'm so grateful to be here with all of you this morning. And uh, what a joy. Uh, we feel so welcomed by all of you. And uh, it's like uh, a homecoming over here. And Vaughn is just like, bro, you're amazing. I just love you a lot, bro. Thank you so much for bringing us out here. So uh, I'd like to introduce our family to you a little bit. You've met my wife, Farida. She's an awesome, beautiful woman out here. And then uh, to my left and my right, oh, that was me about uh, two years ago and a few pounds lighter. Uh, uh, that's my daughter. To my right would be uh, my daughter, uh, Francesca. She's uh, 21 years old. She's a third-year student, uh, college student, and she's taking up human resource management. And then uh, to my left is our youngest. Her name is Pauline, and she is uh, 19 years old, and she is taking up diplomatic affairs. She's a sophomore in the university. And uh, to the far right over here is my son, Paolo. He's 25 years old. He just graduated. Yes! And uh, he, he took up international studies, and his major was American studies. He's studying you guys. So uh, that's, that's our family right there. Be praying for my son, Paolo. He's uh, been studying the Bible. Uh, Francesca and Pauline are disciples. Uh, but Paolo has been studying the Bible and hopefully will become a disciple God knows when. Right, so uh, uh, next slide, please. Okay. Uh, this is part of the Metro Manila Christian Church. There are now uh, over 2,507 disciples in the Manila Church. And uh, there are 32 churches all over the islands of the Philippines. And about 11 of them was planted since 2010 only. Our, our prayer is that by 2020, we would have planted 17 churches all over the, the Philippines. So God has been very gracious and amazing. Um, and uh, uh, it's just been incredible. I pray that someday some of you would be able to visit the Philippines. Oh, you would love it there. I tell you, you won't go back home again. It is amazing over there, and the fellowship is amazing. So um, uh, there are about, uh, in our region, including that of Myanmar, there are 4,800 disciples uh, in that particular region. So God is good, but, um, you know, I'm here to talk about grace. It is important for us to understand what grace is all about. And the uh, effect of grace, next slide please, about two slides down, there you go. So this is the title of the message this morning. Now, my children said that they wanted to have a family talk with us. At the same time, they were asking, oh, Dad, can you please get me something, a little something from over there? Well, that depends, honey. <laughs> but that's what grace is all about. We're going to give them grace on that one. Actually, it was, it's me and my wife that needs grace. So, the effect of grace, what does it do in our lives? Why is it so important? How do we know that grace has been moving in our lives? The best thing is for us to go back to the man who talked about grace. And his name is Paul the Apostle. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, next slide, and verse 7 to 8, and the next verse 2, is sort of a timeline that the Apostle Paul is reminding the disciples in the church in Corinth of the gospel they have received and the resurrection of Jesus. That he appeared to the other disciples and to him who has been abnormally born. So let's read, it says here in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Then it moves on to verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul then must have been scratching his head, saying, I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because he persecuted the church of God. He had been an enemy of disciples during that time. He had thrown some of them to jail, and he applauded when Stephen was being murdered in front of everybody else. What a beautiful reminder of God's grace for all and for Paul. This morning, we should also remind ourselves how we got here in the first place. Where we were before, what we were before, who we were before. And I'm not here to let you think back again and say how, how abnormal we were before. But it is by God's grace that we are who we are today. We are different from who we were before we became disciples of Jesus today. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul thunders in his heart here. And his grace to me was not without effect. No. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I've changed, said Paul. I've transformed. His grace was not without effect from someone who hated to someone who loved. What a profound effect. It moved Paul to work harder than all of the others. Yet it was not his doing, but God's grace which was powerfully working in him. So I have a few things that I'd love to share with you this morning. And the first thing is this, that God's grace transforms. It transforms. Paul became who he is because God transformed him, changed him. When we come face to face with Jesus, my dear brothers and sisters, we are blown away. His love transforms us. His forgiveness cleanses us and changes us. God uses the backdrop of our past to see how much His grace has transformed each and every one of us. I'd like to share with you a story of transformation. I'd like you to meet Bob and Susan Monte Alegre. 
If there could, would be a nomination for the most unlikely to succeed in marriage, it would be Bob and Susan. Don't worry, I asked permission from them. See, they got married at the age of 17 years old. They have not even finished college then. The marriage was a roller coaster ride. Most of the time, they would be threatening to leave each other. At least we did that only once with Farida. They were met in the UP campus in 1992 and became disciples. But you see, not everything transforms overnight. You get me here? Sometimes it takes some time for things to change. You know, the best foods are always those that are slow cooked. We would get phone calls from them asking if it was okay to separate already. I mean, we would get many phone calls from them. There was one time, finally, you know, they started inching on. Uh, we were going to have a devotional, and Bob was tasked to do a lesson. And so everybody in the crowd, because they were well-known and they were well-loved, everybody in the crowd was so excited. Wow, it's going to be Bob's first lesson! And so we were all there in the auditorium. We were waiting for Bob. And then we go, where's Bobby? What in the world is he? So Susan comes in the auditorium and he goes, uh, Bro, I said, where's Bob? We're about to go. Uh, he's in the car. He's in the car? Why? He doesn't want to move. And so I go out into the car, right there by the parking lot. I, I, I come up to him and I see his face really ashen. And he was gripping the steering wheel. And you see that there was no more blood in his hands. I said, uh, Bob, are you okay? Bo, I, I don't think I can do it. Bo, believe me, you can and so I start prying his <laughs> finger one by one. And then when I got to the other one, the other one went down again. I go, oh my gosh. It was a process. And it was like watching a snail race. Have you ever seen a snail race? Oh my goodness. But you know what I love about Bob and Susan? is that they never gave up. They relied on God's grace again and again and again. And they, that they believed that somehow, somewhere, someday, things are going to change. As long as they held on and believed that God was going to transform their lives and use them in powerful ways. Fast forward later on to last year. This is the family. And it's amazing how uh, the family right here, all of them are disciples of Jesus today. Even the boyfriend of the youngest daughter is also a disciple. Now they lead our youth and family ministry in our region and they also oversee the teens' ministry of the whole church. Uh, they are also an amazing couple. Bobby is now a, is an incredible preacher. 
of God's word. And uh, I no longer have to pry his fingers anymore, you know. In fact, I have to go, Bo, enough, please. Get out. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, not only a full-time minister, but Susan had become one of the best events organ- organizers in the Philippines today. And the uh, amazing thing is that the children are all leaders. They're helping lead in the campus ministry, and they're helping lead in the singles ministry. This coming July, Bob and Susan will be appointed elders in the Metro Manila Christian Church. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we are slow cookers. But you know, we just need to allow God's grace to transform you. Look at your past and see who you are today. You've changed. It's amazing how much you've changed. How much we've all changed. And rejoiced at who you have become. And sometimes we want to be there immediately. But you see, God has a process about things. He allows us to go through things so we can be like Jesus. Not be like us. But be like Jesus. I am who I am because of a loving God. It was God's grace that Farid and I are married today. For over almost 28 years now. It's just been amazing. When you transform, it simply is the grace of God and the effect of His grace. The second is that God's grace motivates. Paul said that God's grace is not without effect for him. Instead, what it did is that he drove him to work harder than all the other apostles. And true enough, he traveled more, suffered more opposition, wrote more New Testament epistles, and founded more churches. Yet Paul knew and ministered with the recognition that it was not his power, but God's power, which produced results. Paul knew that he would not be effective if he relied on himself alone. Because if he did so, then God's grace would be without effect. God also made sure that Paul would not boast of his accomplishments as though it was his alone. In fact, God gave a thorn in the flesh to Paul so he would stay humble and that his motives would stay pure. So again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, it says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded! With the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So that Christ's power may rest. Therefore I will boast. All the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why for Christ's sake. I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then 
I am strong. Paul was given this thorn in the flesh. What, what type of thorn in the flesh? Nobody really knows. It might have been a skin disease or whatnot, but it was, but in any case, it was something big that bothered Paul. He asked God three times to take it away, and God did not take it away. And the reason was so Paul would not become conceited. Another was God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My question is this. This morning, do you have a thorn in the flesh? It might be an ailment. It might be a condition. It might be a relationship. It might be a co-worker. It can be a schoolmate or a classmate. It can even be your spouse. It can be a family situation. Whatever it might be. God is allowing it to stay for a reason. Maybe it is to prevent us from becoming prideful. Whatever it is, God is simply saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I will be calling up at this time a brave young woman up here on stage to share about her thorn in the flesh. Let's welcome my daughter, Pauline. 